now. And you can help with a contribution to the KFCF Transmitter Fund. With your help, KFCF can raise the additional $20,000 it needs to buy a new transmitter. That way, the next time lightning strikes, we can stay on the air where you need us. To contribute, to contribute, visit our website kfcf.org or send it to KFCF P.O. Box 4364, Fresno, California 93744. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. Stay with us for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. The ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadow Out of This is Jennifer Stone With Stone's Throw And today is April, April the 11th, um, 2006. And of course, of course, the big story, the big story, darlings, the big story is uh, about the immigrants. Yes, of course, the uh, nationwide, uh, I think of it as a, an uprising, but... I don't know quite how to put it. I just think it's so gloriously cheerful. Uh, I remember uh, not long ago, Barbara Ehrenreich had a book called uh, 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 Nickel and Diming. Yes, Nickel and Diming. What was it? Uh, it was about um, the working class, yes. And she said that those who do the hardest work for the least wages, those people who... Uh, make our lives so easy and so comfortable and uh, make American um, life so, uh, what you call that, opulent. You know, she said, these are the true philanthropists. These are the people that we should be thanking for making life uh, so pleasant for us all, the rest of us, those of us who don't have to pick the fruit. Uh, so let us see. Maybe we could raise the wages a bit and things could go a little better. Uh, there's a day of action against the anti-immigrant federal laws coming soon. That's in San Francisco. Rally at 12 noon, Dolores Park. Sunday, April 23rd. That's the biggie. Okay. Uh, 16th Street, BART Station. That's where I get off to get to that area, Dolores Park. 19th Street and Dolores, close to 16th Street BART Station, right, marked to the San Francisco Federal Building that Sunday, April 23rd. And I was looking. Uh, yes, you can call uh, in the 5 and Dime area code 510. You call 776-3740. Or 
or on the uh, www. We don't say that anymore. It's uh, immigrantrights.org. Immigrantrights.org. Uh, and we'll all get to that goodie and uh, celebrate this new this new fight for freedom. Uh, it says here, right in front of my nose here, that we're celebrating our 57th uh, anniversary and that I'm going to talk about what got me to KPFA. But that's such a long story, I think I'll save it. <laughs> it's a terrific story, but it goes back to 1981. and uh, I'll, I'll save it because... Something very special has happened this week. Uh, I'll tell you about it in a minute. Uh, this is Happy Holy Week. And there's all sorts of observations and celebrations and, you know, of this big anniversary. Uh, actually, our anniversary is April 15th, the Ides of April, Saturday. That is the day that 57 years ago, KPFA began to broadcast uh, 57 years of free speech radio Freedom is a constant struggle, but it's also a lot of fun. Ain't we got fun? Is it fun yet? I sometimes think of KPFA. As the first church of the last laugh, you know, you've heard of that denomination. We get an occasional song for the soul or an eruption of funk, a flight of wild mind, the kind of humor that wakes people up, you know, a zen slap. As I like to say to people, uh, pay attention. Uh, laughter indicates enlightenment, the path to wisdom, clarity of mind. The difficulty with what's left of the left is that we suffer sometimes from self-righteousness, always a threat to progressives, get a bit full of ourselves, you know. Of course, there are people who can be too liberal. What's that definition of a liberal? Someone who won't take his own side in an argument. Uh, my favorite was a t-shirt I had years ago. It said, uh, I don't know more than you don't know. Yes, the depth of my uh, unknowledge, you see, is deeper. Anyway, we need always to reflect, you know. Turn things over in the mind one more time, you know, thus and thus, therefore, however, <laughs> anyway, check yourself, you know, otherwise, the older I get, the more holier than thou I seem to be, yes, oh, we see it everywhere, on the far right, on the far left, human psychology is so fierce, yes, it's a psychology, stupid. We need so desperately to think well of ourselves. We'll twist things any old way just so we come out looking good. And learning to laugh at ourselves, well, that's the work of a lifetime. It really takes us, uh, well, you know, forever. I keep thinking I'm getting there and then I, I look back and I realize that, you know, even last week... I was being pretty foolish. Uh, for me, I had to learn most of the lessons from literature, uh, from stories, from thinkers and poets and writers, you know. All that stuff, the historical, lyrical, satirical, biblical, whatever, all of it, you know, leads me to the fundamental human comedy. In America, I think I give the prize to Mark Twain. He is perhaps the master 
in our culture, but he grew so pessimistic. Maybe that's where thought leads, yes, who is the poet or writer who said, uh, thought, yes, thought breaks the heart. That one stopped me. I'm still, still muddling over that one. The most cheerful American writer, the one I go to for uh, uplift, is Gertrude Stein. <laughs> but today, instead of talking about our anniversary, which I'll get around to, I want to go straight to a great master, because it's his centennial. Would you believe it's Samuel Beckett's birthday? Not today, but day after tomorrow. So I did a little piece for the morning show. I just taped it right this minute. I just did a little bit of Sam Beckett's poems, but Samuel Beckett is my uh, existential father, existential mother. Gertrude Stein is my existential father, right, anyway. This centennial, this hundred-year anniversary, uh, we should celebrate, everyone should, but it may not come to that. <laughs> I think it's up to me. His 100th birthday... Yes, 13th April, born on Good Friday. Friday the 13th it was, he died on Christmas, not too long ago. Uh, you know, people describe Beckett as morose or grim or dark or nihilist. I, I find him wildly comic and absurd. You know, uh, the tragic comedy of life. He gets it on the page, on the stage, all that good stuff, uh, I think I'll take time today just to read you some bits, some bits and snatches, because we so seldom have time, uh, you know, to look uh, uh, to look at these words themselves. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, uh, his life, but there's never time to do it all, just never time. You can look up Beckett and find out all about him uh he was, of course, born in Dublin and then went to France, like Gertrude Stein, right? Uh, second son of Anglo-Irish middle-class Protestant, blah, blah, father hearty fellow. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh -huh. That drove him crazy. His mother, on the other hand, was a sternly critical, straight-laced woman prone to violent outbursts of temper. He's always describing those in his plays and in his novels. Bouts of dark depression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beckett was close to his family. Their deaths would later have a profound impact on the evolution of his views on life, love, and art. Ha, ha, yes, my people. I was thinking there's a wonderful uh, play done by Jack McGowan, an old, now deceased English actor, called Beginning to End. It was a collage of Beckett's works. And to do this, um, Jack McGowan put on an old uh, trench coat and was... Play was full of um, sand and rocks and broken wires, but there were these two great stones, huge rocks that this guy was banging his head against. And of course, they were his mother and his father. Is it not so with many of us? Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, I wish I had time to yes go over this stuff here. He got the Medal of Honor from de Gaulle, and. Uh, he worked with the French resistance. Uh, mm -hmm. That tree in Godot, the tree of life. Never mind. Let us jump right into Samuel Beckett's Malloy. <laughs> this book I have from 1955. After seeing Waiting for Godot, the play, 
which changed everything. I ran out and bought all the books and novels and started reading Beckett and using him for um, my theatrical efforts. Uh, yes, it was my theatrical efforts that got me to KPFA, but that was in 1981. Anyway, this is the beginning of the novel Malloy. Samuel Beckett wrote, I am in my mother's room. It is I who live there now. I don't know how I got there. Perhaps in an ambulance. Certainly a vehicle of some kind. I was helped. I'd never have got there alone. There's this man who comes every week. Perhaps I got there thanks to him. He says not. He gives me money and takes away the pages. So many pages, so much money. Yes. I work now, a little like I used to, except that I don't know how to work anymore. That doesn't matter, apparently. What I'd like now is to speak of the things that are left. Say my goodbyes. Finish dying. They don't want that. Yes, there is more than one, apparently, but it's always the same one that comes. You'll do that later, he says. Good. Truth is, I haven't much will left. When he comes for the fresh pages, he brings back the previous weeks. They are marked with signs I don't understand. Anyway, I don't read them. When I've done nothing, he gives me nothing. He scolds me, yet I don't work for money. For what, then? I don't know. The truth is, I don't know much. For example, my mother's death. Was she already dead when I came, or did she only die later? I mean, enough to bury. I don't know. Perhaps they haven't buried her yet. In any case, I have her room. I sleep in her bed. I have taken her place. I must resemble her more and more. All I need now is a son. Perhaps I have one somewhere, but I think not. He would be old now, nearly as old as myself. <laughs> it was a little chambermaid. It wasn't true love. The true love was in another. We'll come to that. Her name? I've forgotten it again. It seems to me sometimes that I even knew my son, that I helped him. And then I tell myself it's impossible. It's impossible I could ever have helped anyone. I've forgotten how to spell two and half the words. That doesn't matter, apparently. Good. He's a queer one, the one who comes to see me. 
He comes every Sunday, apparently. Other days he isn't free. He's always thirsty. It was, he told me. I'd begun all wrong. Oh, that I should have begun differently. Oh, he must be right. I began at the beginning. Imagine that. Here is my beginning. I took a lot of trouble with it. Here it is. It gave me a lot of trouble. It was the beginning, do you understand? Whereas now it is nearly the end. Is what I do now any better? I don't know. That's beside the point. Here's my beginning. It must mean something. Or they wouldn't keep it. Here it is. This time, I know where I am going. It is no longer the ancient night, the recent night. Now it is a game I'm going to play. I never knew how to play till now. I longed to, but I knew it was impossible. Yet I often tried. I turned on all the lights. I took a good look all around. I began to play with what I saw. People and things asked nothing better than to play. Certain animals, too. All went well at first. They all came to me, pleased that someone should want to play with them. If I said, ah, now I need a hunchback, immediately one came running, proud as punch of his fine hunch that was going to perform. It did not occur to him that I might have to ask him to undress. It was not long before I found myself alone in the dark. That is why I gave up trying to play and took to myself forever shapelessness and speechlessness, incurious wandering, darkness, long stumbling without stretched arms, hiding. Such is the earnestness from which, for nearly a century now, I have never been able to depart. From now on, it will be different. I must have thought about my timetable during the night. I think I shall be able to tell myself four stories, each one on a different theme. One about a man, another about a woman, a third about a thing, and finally one about an animal, a bird probably. I think that is everything, perhaps. Perhaps I shall put the man and the woman in the same story. There is so little difference between a man and a woman, between mine, I mean. Perhaps... I shall not have time to finish. 
On the other hand, perhaps I shall finish too soon. So, first of all, my stories, then last of all, if all goes well, my inventory. All my life long, I have put off this reckoning, saying, too soon, too soon, well... It is still too soon, all my life long, I have dreamt of the moment when, edified at last, in so far as one can be, before all is lost, I might draw the line, make the tote. This moment seems now at hand, I shall not lose my head on that account. And I shall begin, that they may plague me no more, with the man and the woman. That will be the first story. There is not matter there for two. There will therefore be only three stories after all. That one, then the one about the animal, then the one about the thing, a stone probably. present state. Three stories, inventory, there. An occasional interlude is to be feared. <laughs> Full program. I shall not deviate from it any further than I must. So much for that, I feel. I am making a great mistake. No matter. Present state. This room seems to be mine. I can find no other explanation to my being left in it all this time, unless it be at the behest of the powers that be. That is hardly likely. Why should the powers have changed in their attitudes towards me? A bright light is not necessary. A taper is all one needs to live in strangeness, if it faithfully burns. Perhaps I came in for the room on the death of... Whoever was in it before me, I inquire no further in any case. It is not a room in a hospital or in a madhouse. I can feel that. It is an ordinary room. I have little experience of rooms, but this one seems quite ordinary to me. The truth is, if I did not feel myself dying, I could well believe myself dead, expiating my <laughs> sins or in one of heaven's mansions, but I feel at last that the sands are running out, which would not be the case if I were in heaven or in hell. Beyond the grave. Ah, the sensation of being beyond the grave was stronger with me six months ago. Had it been foretold to me that one day I should feel myself living as I do today. I should have smiled. It would not have been noticed, but I would have known I was smiling. Not only am I left here now, in this room, but I am looked after. This is how it is done now. The door half opens. A hand puts a dish on the little table left there for that purpose. Takes away the dish of the previous day and the door closes again. It is soup. They must know I am toothless. When my chamber pot is full, I put it on the table beside the dish. Then I go 24 hours without a pot. No, no. I have two pots. Ha! 
how they have thought of everything. I am naked in the bed, in the blankets, whose number I increase and diminish as the seasons go. I am never hot, never cold. I don't wash, but I don't get dirty. <laughs> If I get dirty somewhere, I rub the part with my finger, wet with spittle. See, what matters is to eat and excrete. Excrete, dish and pot, dish and pot. These are the poles. In the beginning, it was different. The woman came right into the room, bustled about, inquired about my needs, my wants. I succeeded in the end in getting them into her head, my needs and my wants. It was not easy. She did not understand until the day I found the terms. The accents that fitted her. All that must be half imagination. It was she who got me this long stick. It has a hook at one end. Ah,、oh, how great is my debt to sticks! So great that I almost forget the blows they have transferred to me. She is an old woman. Don't know why she's good to me. Yes. Let us call it goodness. Without quibbling, I believe her to be even older than I, but rather less well preserved, in spite of her mobility. Perhaps she goes with the room, in a manner of speaking. All I see of her now is the gaunt hand and part of the sleeve. Not even that. No, not even that. Perhaps she is dead, having predeceased me. Perhaps now it is another's hand that lays and clears my little table. I don't know how long I have been here. <laughs> I shall not give up yet. I have finished my soup. Ah,、oh, it is time I took a little rest, for safety's sake. I don't like those gulls' eyes. They remind me of an old shipwreck. I forget which. I know it is a small thing, but I am easily frightened now. I know those little phrases that seem so innocuous, and once you let them in, pollute the whole of speech. Nothing is more real than nothing. Nothing is more real than nothing. They rise up out of the pit and know no rest until they drag you down into its dark. But I am on my guard now. Live and invent. I have tried. I must have tried. Invent.、Mm, it is not the word. Neither is live. No matter. I have tried. While within me, the wild beast of earnestness padded up and down, roaring, ravening, rending. I have done that in the toils of earnestness. That has been my disease. I was born grave, as others syphilitic, and gravely I struggled to be grave no more, to live, to invent. But at each fresh attempt, I lost my head, fled to my shadows as to sanctuary, to his lap, who can neither live nor suffer the sight of others living. I say, living without knowing what it is. I tried to live without knowing what I was trying. I wonder why, oh, why I speak of all this. Ah,、oh, yes, to relieve the tedium, the living. <laughs> They were always more than I could bear. Oh, the 
No, I don't mean that, but groaning with tedium, I watched them come and go, and then I killed them or took their place or fled. I feel within me the glow of that old frenzy, but I know it will set me on fire no more. I stop everything and wait. How false all this is. No time now to explain. I began again. I told myself, too, that I must make better speed. Ah, if I had the patience to wait, I would see the moon. But I have not. Now that I have looked, I hear the wind. I close my eyes, and it mingles with my breast. My breath, words, and images run riot in my head. Beyond this tumult there is a great calm and a great indifference never to be troubled by anything again. I am buried in the world. The search for myself is ended. This has been Jennifer Stone. I've been reading to you from Samuel Beckett's Malone Dies, Day After Tomorrow is Beckett's 100th birthday. <sighs> Till next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. In April 2005, several independent internationals began regular visits to the Palestinian neighborhood of Tel Rumeida in Hebron, widely acknowledged as housing the most violent faction of the Israeli settler movement. Come to a forum on Saturday, April 15th at 3 p.m. for an eyewitness report, video, and discussion. That's Saturday, April 15th, 3 p.m. at the San Francisco Women's Building, 3543 18th Street. A 5 to $10 donation benefits the Tel Rumeida Project. The event is co-sponsored by the Answer Coalition and the Free Palestine Alliance. For more information, call 415-821-6545.